0: This morning, and in the next few Sundays, I want to address a major problem among Christians. I'm talking about the huge disconnect between Sunday and Monday. We worship the Lord on Sunday, and we sing his praises, and we declare that we're gonna serve the Lord. Here I am, Lord, send me. But so often come Sunday morning, We hang up our Christianity with our coat, you know, at the office, or at school, at home. And we give God precious little thought during the rest of the week. Somehow, what we profess and proclaim on Sunday morning doesn't necessarily get translated into the way we live our lives Monday through Saturday. And it's scandalous, really, The great uh, preacher Dwight Moody, long time ago, diagnosed our problem. He said, there are very few who in their hearts do not believe in God, but what they will not do is give him exclusive right of way. They are not ready to promise full allegiance to God alone. Many a professing Christian is a stumbling block because his worship is divided. On Sunday, he worships God. On weekdays, God has little or no place in his thoughts. And the truth is convicting because we are very good at compartmentalizing our life. You know how it goes. We have the religious compartment, the spiritual compartment, and then we have the work compartment and the leisure compartment and the social compartment, and so on and so on, and we divide up our lives and we play different roles and abide by different rules for each. And though we give lip service to the Lordship of Christ, we tend to confine His sphere of influence to the religious-spiritual compartment, right? Which we define rather narrowly in terms of attending church and giving our offering and serving the church so that we lose the conviction that Jesus is Lord over all of life and that our faith is a 24-7 affair, and that discipleship is to extend to the workplace as well as to the religious place. In fact, nowhere is the gap between faith and life so huge as in the relationship between our faith and our daily work. It's almost as if there is a double yellow line between faith and our workplace that one dare not cross. There is the world of Christian faith, and then the world of daily work. There is God's kingdom work, and then there is business, and never the two shall meet, or so it seems. Now, this is definitely not God's intention for our lives. And yet the sad fact is that the church, and it's talking about the, the church in general, has done very little help to help has done very little to help Christians connect their faith with what they're doing on the job. And by the way, I realize that I am talking to many people who are retired. But chances are, unless you are among the living dead, you are involved in some sphere of purposeful activity though you may not be getting paid for it. So I am speaking to you as well. I mean, translate this in your own, uh, you know, your own life. A research organization polled 2,000 people who called themselves Christians and who regularly attended church, and they were asked, have you ever in your life heard a sermon, read a book, listened to a video, or been to a seminar that applied biblical principles to everyday work issues, and more than 90% said no. In a study of evangelical CEOs, that was conducted some time ago, Harvard Divinity School researcher Laura Nash found that less than one-third of those CEOs could give a single example of how their faith had affected their business decisions. And so Nash laments, if only the problem were confined to those at the top, it is the rare Christian who can offer any coherent description of the connection between following Jesus and what he or she does during business hours. Man, what a sad commentary that is. The fact is, our daily work matters supremely to God. And what we do during our work week has great significance and makes a huge difference for God's cause in the world. And yet, I don't think, by and large, we value our work as God does, in the way that God does. Many of us, I fear, have bought into the notion that our daily work doesn't matter all that much to God because it's worldly, right? It's secular and therefore of lesser importance in God's eyes than the kind of work done most obviously in the, in the religious and spiritual uh, sphere, right? The kind of work the pastors do. In other words, pastors have holy work, and the rest of you have work that's not quite so holy, kind of unholy at times. Pastors, they're the ones who have the higher calling, after all, while the rest simply have a job or a profession. Now, the Christian church has had an unofficial but rather explicit sacred occupation scale. At the top of the scale in terms of esteem, Christian circles, are missionaries, right? Missionaries, they're the ones who forego all the comforts of life and they go off, you know, to wherever and uh, they serve the Lord. They are especially holy, dear to the Lord. Then there are the pastors, you know the shepherds who preach God's holy word and who care for the flock. And next are those in helping professions, healthcare workers and teachers and social workers. And at the bottom are people in business and trades. It's just kind of just how it works. And to some extent the sacred scale is still operating in many parts of the church. People who are truly spiritual are expected to move towards professional Christian ministry, right? There's an assumption that that if you really want to serve the Lord, then you really ought to go to seminary. And you ought to become a pastor, which is unfortunate because many people are driven to the pastorate when, in fact, it's not their call at all. They would be more effective if they stayed in their present job. If only they could view their particular occupation, their situation, as their arena for ministry. What if ministry is something that we don't go into, but it's something we actually do on the job? Well, let me tell you very briefly the story of William Wilberforce. Uh, He was uh, the late 18th century English politician he was only 21 when he was elected to the parliament, and very early on felt compelled to work towards the abolition of the slave trade in his country, a time when few people spoke against it. And within just a very few years, he reached the, the higher echelons of political influence. I mean, he was privy to cabinet secrets. He was a close friend of the prime minister. He was in a, in a great position to lead the attack on the evils of the slave trade. But at the age of 25, Wilberforce had this drawn-out conversion experience, which he described as the great change. And when he came to heartfelt conviction, to faith in Christ, his first inclination was to give up politics for the pastorate, to give up parliament for the church, and withdraw from the world and from all political and social attachments. He was sorely tempted to go in that direction as a matter of faithfulness to God. He thought that this was com- what coming to faith required of him. But fortunately, John Newton, the ex slave trader who is best known to us today as the author of Amazing Grace, persuaded Wilberforce to stick to politics rather than church ministry. It's hoped and believed, said Newton to Wilberforce, that the Lord has raised you up for the good of the nation. And thankfully, Wilberforce listened to Newton, and he came to believe that God was calling him to champion the liberty of the oppressed as a politician. My walk, he concluded, is a public one. My business is in the world, and I must mix in the assemblies of men or quit the post that Providence seems to have assigned me. And so then Wilberforce went on to lead the charge against slavery, which uh, involved a lot of persevering labor uh, and took years. But more than anyone, he was responsible for its final abolition and was obviously used by God in a very powerful way. So that in Britain, they they abolished the slave trade long before uh, the United States. But you see, Wilberforce came so very close to missing his call on his life, believing as actually many people still today that if you really want to do the Lord's work, if you want to do something that's really significant, then you ought to be a professional minister. You've got to serve the church. You know, and that, that notion still lingers and somehow we have to get rid of it. The kingdom of God would be better served if people would stay where they are and follow Jesus. The the story of William Wilberforce reminds us that God needs workers in every realm of life. Not just in the church, right? But we need Christians in politics and in the arts and in industry and commerce, in education, in all professions, in all the walks of life. So why not serve the Lord right where God has put you? Why not think of your present occupation or sphere of activity as a place where you have been ordained by the Lord to do the Lord's work? The important thing is that you not devalue what you do, for God doesn't. When you work, you are doing something very godlike. Because God himself is a worker. You are doing what God does. Your work, if legitimate, is an extension of what God is already doing uh, and, and has involved you in his own creative process. So let's think about this. Our work has dignity and significance because God himself is a worker. The Bible opens with God working, speaking, fashioning, designing, crafting, sculpting. God makes light, matter, space, time, sea, and land, and the most beautiful all of all human beings. It would be interesting to do a, a word study of all the verbs used of God that are descriptive of his working. Um, here's a sample. God is making, adorning, separating, organizing, cultivating, beautifying, improving, fixing, redeeming, renovating, informing, announcing, revealing outcomes, healing breaches, making peace, helping, sustaining, being with, communicating worth, celebrating, expressing joy, making beautiful things, imagining, Dealing with evil, designing, planning, enlisting, empowering, consummating, entertaining, welcoming, providing a context, showing hospitality, serving, bringing to a conclusion. We have one busy God. God the creator forms, fabricates, maintains, and finishes. God the lover does relational work, bringing dignity, health, and meaning God the Savior does redemptive work, mending, uniting, and saving. God the leader does community-building work and brings things to consummation. And the amazing thing is that this worker God who creates, redeems, and guides has given you and me a share in his creative work, having made us in his image. We read in Genesis... Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God gives you and me the important work of ruling over God's creation as God's own representatives. We have been given the responsibility to tend his garden, as Genesis 2 puts it. The Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. God planted the garden. Man cultivated it. The first business partnership. Have you ever thought about how, what a great privilege this is, that God has made you and me his co-workers, his junior partners? God plants, we cultivate. We have a very important role to play in God's scheme of things, which makes me think of the often told story. Of the pastor who made an investment uh he went out and bought a, a, a piece of uh ranch real estate kind of out in the middle of nowhere, but you know he bought some acres and he thought that he'd be able to enjoy this property uh in his retirement and so uh, while he was an active pastor, he would go off uh, one day a week uh, and he would uh you know check on his property and and he would work the land but it turned out to be quite a job uh. Uh, he saw the potential in the land, but he—I don't think he realized how much work it would be because there were weeds everywhere, and gopher holes, and buildings in disrepair, and uh, man, it just wasn't attractive. But again, he, he thought, "Well, I could s- do something with this," and so he stayed at it. Every week, he'd go, and he would take out his little small tractor and he would mow the weeds with a vengeance, and and. Uh, you know, get smooth the land, get rid of all the rocks, and then he'd go to the dilapidated buildings and he would repair them as best as he could. And, and, um, and he'd cut lumber and replace broken windows and the, worked on the plumbing, and it was really hard work. But after several months, he, he, it began to look like a pretty nice place. And uh, the pastor took a certain amount of pride in, in what he had done. His labor was finally paying off. Well, when the project was completed, the pastor received a a neighborly visit from a farmer who lived just a few miles down the road, and Farmer Brown took a long look at the preacher and cast a longer eye on the revitalized property, and and then he nodded his approval and said, Well, preacher, looks like you and God did uh, some work here. And the pastor, wiping the sweat off his brow, said to Farmer Brown, it's interesting you should say that, Mr. Brown, but I got to tell you, you should have seen this place when God had it all to Himself. <laughs> Man, God has made us co-workers. We've got stuff to do, porn stuff to do. We get to tend God's garden. God involves you and me in bringing about His good purposes for creation. We are co-creators is junior partners in creation management so that our work, no matter how humble, is an extension of his work and therefore it has intrinsic worth. And so we, sh- we share the surprise of the psalmist who, after praising God for all his creative work, exclaims, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them, But you've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So why does our work matter to God? Because... God is a worker. And when you and I work, we reflect his image, and our work becomes becomes an extension of his work that he's doing in the world. We rule over the work of his hands. Again, you and I are involved in creation management in its various forms. Why does our work matter to God? Because through our work, We are able to obey God's command to love, as set forth in the Gospel of Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Through our daily work, we show our love for neighbor by producing goods and services that people need, must have in order to survive, and to enhance their lives, to make society thrive. Through our work, we earn money so that we can give to the poor and to the needy and to the causes that we care about, pursuing God's justice and righteousness. When we work, we love ourselves and our own families by providing for their welfare. And above all, through our work, by doing what God wants done, we show our love for Him. We try to please Him in all that we do so that our work is an offering of love to God. All this is to say we are to love the Lord our God not just on Sunday, but on Monday in what we do, even in the workplace, which we may have mistakenly thought to be a secular place. Your place of work is a holy place. You're on sacred ground. Is it possible to do the Lord's work in a bank or in an accountant's office or as you're programming a computer or if you're working in a retail store or in a marketing firm or at school? Is it possible to do the Lord's work on a car lot? Does our work matter to God? Of course it does. In fact, I would venture to say that your work is just as important to God as what the preacher does in the pulpit. Never discount or devalue your daily work, for it is holy unto the Lord. Let us pray. In industry, God be in my hands and in my making. In the arts, God be in my senses and in my creating. In the home, God be in my heart and in my loving. In commerce, God be at my desk and in my trading. In healing, God be in my skill and in my touching. In government, God be in my plans and in my deciding. In education, God be in my mind and in my growing. In recreation, God be in my limbs and in my leisure. Amen.